It is my pleasure this morning to welcome back to the Talent Show pulpit, Gary Morello. Gary is now the associate pastor at the Neroten Presbyterian Church, and we are so privileged to have him here today. He's going to preach in a way that we don't always do here, so he will include <laughs> he will include the scripture within the context of his message. So may the words that you hear and the words and spirit that you feel be made present to you in these beautiful words and this beautiful style that Gary is about to offer. Thank you, Gary. Seems like everywhere I go nowadays, there needs to be an introduction like that before I come up and speak, huh? Oh, no, this is recording this. Oh, you're recording with this? Awesome, awesome. Uh, good morning, church. It's so good to be home. It really is. So good to be home. Many of you I've known for a long time. Maybe some of you uh, I'll meet today uh, for the first time. But two things uh, before we get into the Word of God this morning. One, um, I feel even better that it's downpouring today. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, on the day of my wedding, uh, October 2nd, 2015, we had three of the students from Town Joe Church speak at our wedding. And one of them, her name is Sarah, got up uh, in the pulpit at the wedding and said, well, of course it's pouring on Pastor Gary's wedding day. He loves to see people grow. <laughs> and so that's my prayer, is that this morning we'll know a little bit more and we'll grow together in our relationship with Jesus. We'll grow in our relationship to the book of Colossians. And so truly from the front doorstep of the Morello household, um, which has grown quite a bit uh, since I started here. Um, we bring love from our front doorstep um, to your front doorstep. My wife, Erica, um, our three children. Um, our oldest is Ariana. She's five and a half now. Uh, then we have a middle guy named Caleb who just turned three. Um, and then we got the little guy coming up who's going to be two actually in a couple weeks. Uh, just briefly, Ariana just lost her first tooth. Um, I don't know who was more excited, me or her, um, but it was a really, really big deal. Um, Caleb just turned three, um, and he loves to pray at Grace. Um, he's our little prayer warrior. Um, and Zachariah, the little guy, is the most like me so far. He kind of gets right in your face and stares at you with intensity to the point where I have to say to him, Zach, why, why are you being so intense? Um, and then, of course, my wife looks at me and she's like, really, dude? <laughs> Really, um, my wife's a urology nurse at um, Greenwich Hospital, um, and she's more beautiful uh, than ever before. Our, our marriage is in a, more of a deeper, beautiful place than it's ever been, um, but it's certainly one area that we work really hard at. Um, for me, um, tomorrow I'll have 11 years of continuous sobriety. Um, thank you so much. That started uh, by walking through those doors here. Uh, I always share this about Talmadge Hill. Um, I feel like the church um, gave me my own little circle because the floor had so much tears on them um, and so many hands held up me. So when I say I'm home, I'm talking about the church that helped raise me back to life. And everything in which God calls me to do in the world today where he leads me and sends me to serve and help others 
started in this place. On Tuesday, July 18th, I'll be 36 years old. Um, and believe it or not, it'll be the five-year anniversary of the Reverend Mitch Zeman uh, leaving us. He passed away um, on my birthday. Um, miss him. He'd be uh, deeply moved by the church and the way in which you guys are serving the local community, the national community, and of course, across the globe. Um, I know also um, he would remind me to continue to stay humble. That was his charge to me before I became a preacher. He said, Pastor Gary, uh, if you ever forget where you come from, um, be quick to run out of the pulpit. Um, humility is really the cornerstone of anyone that has authority or a platform to speak from um, when we're given a chance to do so in such a way like this. And so um, with that being said, let's just open our hearts in prayer and then we'll, we'll dive into the word, shall we? So Holy Spirit, um, Lord, I love your church here at Talmadge Hill. Um, gosh, there's just memories swirling through my head and uh, to see the faces of uh, people in this world that, um, that I love, that I tell my children about uh, during nap time and during their bedtime prayers. Thank you for this holy ground, for this sacred space, Lord. Keep using it to transform hearts. May it be a place where people can come in and the deepest places of brokenness and experience the power of your grace and the love of your community. In Christ's name, amen. So I also bring greetings from NPC. Uh, right down the road. Um, I've been at that church now for over uh, five years. Um, and as Reverend Cheryl said, which by the way, we've known each other for a long time too. Um, and it's really good to be together. And uh, what we do at Naroton, it's called expository preaching. And essentially what I'll do is, um, my hope is you'll learn a little bit more about the book of Colossians, but we take books in the Bible. Um, and then we take each section of the passage that we're preaching. And then we preach, you know, sort of in the context of, and then of course, make it relevant to our lives. Um, and I want to say that um, the Word of God is powerful, church. Man, it's powerful. Um, many of you know this. Uh, from the first day I stepped into the walls of this church, I, I fell in love with Jesus. Um, and so with me, you're going to hear a lot about Jesus. From the pulpit, you'll hear a lot about Jesus. At lunch with me, you'll hear a lot about Jesus. Uh, if you call me to see how I'm doing at the end, at some point, you're going to hear about Jesus. Because people, when I came here, pointed me to Jesus. Donna, right? Deb, Donna? Donna and I were talking this morning just about, um, as you continue to go, you recognize the solution is found in him. Um, and so my faith is growing in leaps and bounds as a result of being in circles where people are pointing us to God. And so I bring this technique of preaching, hoping that we have a deeper understanding of Colossians and the word, and we're currently preaching this sermon series called A Soul Set Free Letters from a Roman Prisoner. And we're reading through the four New Testament epistles that Paul wrote during a two year prison sentence in Rome. Those books are Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. And we just finished the highly Christ centered book of Colossians. And man, this book has really 
changed me a lot. And so just some important things to know about the book of Colossians. First, a really important note is that Paul never actually met the Christians in Colossae. Now, he spent a lot of time with the Ephesians, the first prison letter, but this letter, he never really actually got to meet the Christians. But despite not meeting the believers in Colossae, he never stopped praying for them. I know this church has a prayer ministry. Never, ever think just because you haven't met a mission partner or someone you don't know that you're serving, that your prayer isn't powerful, even if you don't know them. Um, Second, uh, the Colossian church needed a lot of prayer because what they were dealing with was a fusion of religious influences. It was Gnosticism, paganism, and cults. Now, I'm not going to go too far down the rabbit hole on these here this morning, but here's essentially some of the other teachings that were circulating through the town that Paul wanted to address, and it was that none of them taught the supremacy of Jesus Christ. None of them taught the supremacy of Jesus Christ. The supremacy of Christ is the doctrine surrounding the authority of Jesus and his God nature, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God existing in three co-equal distinctive persons. So in the simplest terms, to affirm the supremacy of Christ is to affirm that he is in fact the Son of God. And lastly, as a result of these religious influencers outside of the Christian faith, these young believers in Colossae were under pressure to abandon Jesus and follow these teachings which contradict the gospel. And so Paul, like a good pastor, responds to these concerns through his pastoral duties by addressing these teachings and clearly communicating to the church that there's only one true God and his name is Jesus. And so we pick up the story this morning in this context within mind because it'll help us understand this section of scripture. And it starts with a so then, which is based on what Paul has said to the Christians already. He's reminding these new believers of the splendor of the gospel and the freedom they've received in Christ. So let's begin with verses six and seven. It's printed in your bulletin. And it's really these two verses that the rest of chapter two is built upon. Colossians chapter two, verses six and seven. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Okay, church, so I want to start by um, uh, sharing that this, verses 6 and 7, Paul double downs on this also and uses the same language in the book of Galatians. And I think Paul's doubling down because he wants the church and us to learn and never forget how fundamental it is for every believer to live a life in Christ. The Bible repeats this term often in Scripture, in Christ, being in Christ. Church, whenever we see repetition in the reading of Scripture, it's a reminder for us to pay very close attention to it. Let me repeat that again. (laughs) 
whenever we see repetition in the reading of Scripture, it's a reminder for us to pay close attention to it. So Paul in verse 6 begins by affirming the decision the Colossian Christians made to put their faith in Jesus and accept them as the Lord and Savior. It's the first step every believer takes to begin a life in Christ. And then Paul, which he often does, uses really helpful images to help the young church and us here today at Talmadge Hill receive a better understanding of how important it is to continue to grow in our faith and our relationship with Christ. In the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. It's all about living and being in the day. So Paul says, be rooted in Christ. I want you to think of it this way. Just as plants draw nourishment from the soil through their roots, so we also draw strength through the life-giving truth of Christ. Paul then says, be built up in Christ. In other words, just like athletes build up their body, Paul is saying we need to activate our spiritual muscles daily so that we can develop and build upon our faith in Christ. You know, as a a pastor that ministers to students, particularly boys, when they go from that like eighth, ninth, tenth grade zone and they start to get bigger after working out, it's a similar application, right? It takes work every day. Paul says be strengthened in the faith or another way to look at it is to be firm or fortified in Christ. This means having accountability partners, going to Bible studies regularly, attending worship, effectively any spiritual discipline that benefit us to live our lives in Christ. And lastly, Paul says, be overflowing with thankfulness. So the imagery I want us to have here uh, looks something like this. Um, I wish Ariana was here. Um, uh, Actually, not Ari. Ari wouldn't do this, but Caleb would definitely do this. Um, So it's uh, this overflow of thankfulness. The imagery we have is like, say we were in uh, coffee hour after church, and Caleb was getting ready to pour some juice into a cup. And you're standing there looking at Caleb, and you know that that juice is getting ready to tip over the top of that cup. Most of our reactions would be what? Stop. What the scripture's telling us is say, spill over your thankfulness onto everybody. <laughs> Keep pouring over. Don't stop spilling over onto people, right? Because one of the things, the key takeaways from these prison letters is that Paul's writing from jail. So he's communicating to us, there is no circumstance that we can go through in life where we still can't experience the joy of Christ. You know, out there in the world nowadays, church, when you have a heart of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness, people are craving it. And so when you have that spirit, someone's going to say to you, hey, what's going on with you? Right? For me, it's often, are you okay? (laughs) And it's a wonderful first step invitation to say, yeah, I'm really well. Come to church and see what I've been shown. So Paul's reminding us that the Christians in Colossae is about how far they've come. And then in verse 8, after encouraging them and assuring them and lifting them up, he's going to speak truth in love by telling them to not replace their faith in Jesus with any kind of human bondage. And let me stop here for just a second and speak to you from my heart. 
This verse matters. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we're often immature in many ways, especially in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And honestly, church, I was so immature when I first gave my life to Jesus. And without a doubt, if it wasn't for the mature believers God put in my path who were willing to love me enough to tell me the truth when I was acting out in sin and seeking out idols and not taking the study of Scripture seriously, I would never be where I am at 35. I mean, I can go around this entire church and name names, right? The Eric's, the, the Betsy's. Right, The Russes, the Tims, the Missies, the Scots, and the list goes on and on. Right, I needed you, when I came into the faith, to teach and equip and help me understand who to be in Christ. And so as a church, we must embrace wholeheartedly the grace of God, but in the same way, we can't shy away from truth that transforms. We all need mature believers in our inner circles that love us enough to tell us the truth, just like Paul did for the church in Colossae. And here's what he says in verse eight. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So the apostle Paul, out of his genuine love for the church, is cautioning them in verse 8, and he's saying in essence, brothers and sisters in Christ, the motives of some of these other teachers are not benign. Now, let me give it to you in 2023 context language. I have students that will come up to me and say what they saw on an Instagram post is truth, but they're questioning truth that's lasted thousands and thousands of years. My goal and my prayer always working with students is to help make them critical thinkers. You know, I know where I stand, where I've landed. That's always my prayer for the church, for the believers. Say, hey, do your work, do your study to make a conscious decision of why you believe what you believe. A lot of mine is evidence-based, right? But a lot of times people get to these conclusions and then you ask a question, well, how'd you get there? Well, I kind of saw it on this. Oh, who'd you hear from? I kind of, you know. So it's just a reminder that we have to be discerning this always, like Paul did, but also right now as a community. And it makes me ask the questions. Are the motives of the teachers in our local schools benign? Are the motives of the administration running our town hall benign? Are the motives of the clergy in our community benign? Now guys, this isn't about being afraid. The Bible commands over and over not to be afraid. But I do think what often happens is we can't just say, okay, this is what it is because it's out there currently or it's the new trend. The joy for me in 2023 is so many families and students are coming and they realize this isn't working. (laughs) This, This void that I'm trying to fill with you name the thing, it's not working. So the Bible instructs us to fearlessly face the sin nature of man by alerting people, making sure people think. You know, this whole take captive in the original language, it means to carry one off as a slave. 
This idea of carrying someone's soul from truth into the slavery of error is a major important thing to be mindful of. And so Paul's writing against any philosophy or life based on human experiences and ideas that credit humanity, not Christ. And he's masterfully contrasting this empty philosophy being offered with the spiritual fullness that comes from being in Christ. And Paul's declaring that there's no comparison whatsoever. And he will lay out in detail the spiritual fullness that happens only when we're in Christ in these final verses, 9 to 15. These are powerful verses, guys. Here's what it says. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Paul, once again, is is stating that uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's teaching with a fine tooth comb to the church in Colossae and our modern day church that when you know Jesus Christ, you don't need to seek God by means of unbiblical philosophy or things that our modern day has to offer. And so what Paul is getting at is that Christ alone holds the answers to the meaning of life. You know, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4, which I know you guys have studied in your Bible study, it says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that's why Paul is preaching the Gospel for us this morning by articulating that in Christ we have unbroken fellowship with God and freedom from sin. Saints, our debt of sin's been paid in full. We're swept away, forgiven by God. We no longer carry the boulders of shame and guilt on our shoulders. The good news that never gets old is that Jesus is transforming our lives every day. I'm sure many of you have read this book by Philip Yancey, What's So Amazing About Grace, and it offers us an incredible insight that I think puts this entire piece of Colossians in summation. Here's what he says. During a British conference on a comparative religious religions, experts from around the world debated what if any belief was unique about the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation, 
Other religions had different versions of gods appearing in human form. Resurrection. Again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on and on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. For those of you who don't know, C.S. Lewis is sort of a patriarch grandfather of the faith. He says, what's the rumpus all about? He asked and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, this is so easy. It's grace. It's grace. After some discussion, the conferers had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant and the Muslim code of law, each of these offer a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Aware of our inbuilt resistance to grace, Jesus talked about it often. He described a world suffused with God's grace, where the sun shines on people good and bad, like a visitor from a foreign country who notices what the natives overlook Jesus saw grace everywhere. End quote. I just sat with a pastor recently who's been a pastor for almost 30 years. He just took a group on the Camino Walk in Spain. He returned and he said uh, to me, Pastor Gary, I've been a pastor for many, many years, and it still amazes me how many mature Christians in the faith still struggle with the concept of grace. And church, when our hearts can come around this idea that we are freely given this love by God that was done for us on the cross is the day we walk in a way that we have walked never before. In Christ, the uniqueness of God's grace abounds for you and for me, for the drunk, for the abused, for the prostitute, for the adulterer, the widow, the poor, the rich, the heroin addict, the divorced, the unclean, the murderer, even for you fill in the blank. I want to close by saying to you this morning how much I love you.
when I walked in this church, I had a, a hat on and a hood. I sat right here. And I was engulfed with guilt and shame. Engulfed. Broken. To the point where I was frustrated when my eyes opened in the morning. And it was you, saints. It was this church. It was the pastors of this church, Pastor Carter and Pastor Mitch, that kept pointing me to Jesus. That kept encouraging me to read the scripture. That kept encouraging me to stay humble. That there are times now where I'm holding my children, right? For those of you who are parents, it's like God puts another valve in your heart, right? And for those of you that shepherd the young, you know what I'm talking about. And I will hold my babies in my arms, right? And I still think of this church. And I think of your faces. And what transformed me, yes, was your hands and your touch and your love. But it was how you relentlessly pointed me to the one. The one who came in the form of a child. Who grew up to become a man. Who was beaten on the cross who died and resurrected from the dead, who now lives among us by faith alone because of his grace. And so thank you. From the bottom of my heart, my wife extends the same gratitude to each of you. May grace continue to abound right here at Talmadge Hill Church. Thanks be to God. Amen.